How many of you, uh, see, you're the ones that get ready first and have to wait on other people to get ready? See, show of hands. See, I'm starting a spat already. So in that regard, you're not a tasty morsel. <laughs> ever, you ever, when you were dating, did you ever show up on time and then you had to sit, especially if you were a guy, the worst, the worst is showing up to pick up your date and she's not ready and so you have to sit in the living room with her father while she gets ready. Listen, let me just give you a little hint here, young guys, especially uh, like teenagers that aren't married. She's ready. She's sitting upstairs because her dad said, you're not ready. He's just taking that time to interview you, you know, freak you out a little bit, right? Now, at some point when he gives you the green light to date her, you might then show up and have to wait on her to get ready. And then you think to yourself, but she's so precious. She's a tasty morsel. And I'm, I'm going to look past this because I know that we're going to get married. And when we get married, it's going to be different, right? And then when you get married, it is different. She takes longer, right, to get ready. Or maybe it's reversed in your, in your house. Maybe, maybe you, um, the, the wife is ready, the husband's never ready. Maybe the kids are ready and the parents aren't. Maybe the parents are ready and the kids aren't. But have you noticed, like, we, we're, we get ready to go and then we wait. And that's frustrating. To get ready to go somewhere and then wait. I think about, like, this Battle Ready series that we just did, right? We just spent eight weeks talking about how God's getting us ready for battle. He's, he's giving us armor. He's giving us weapons. He's, he's giving us victory. And then he's it's like, okay, now stand. Like this whole series called Stand is based out of Ephesians 6.13 where he says this. Four times in verses 10 to, 13 to 14, he uses the word stand. In Ephesians 6.13, he says, look, finally, put on the full armor, the full armor, all the pieces, Put on the full armor so that when the day of evil comes, that's a when, not an if, right? If you're ever wondering when the day of evil is, it's Monday. Everybody knows that, right? It's not Friday, it's Monday. When the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand against it. That's a defensive term. We talked a lot in the Battle Ready series. And again, if, you, if you're here for the first time, you, you missed that whole series. It's all online. It'd be well worth your time just to go podcast it and listen to it. But we talked in the, in the Battle Ready series about this phrase. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. But listen, when you fight from victory, sometimes you just have to fight off the enemy who's trying to take the victory back from you. And so Paul says, that day of evil's coming. And so put on the full armor of God so that when that day comes, you can stand against it defensively protecting the victory and then he, he uses this phrase which I find hilarious and frustrating and then after after having done everything else stand really that's it like after I do everything else I've done everything I know to do and now you're just telling me to stand that's what this series is about. It's not going to be a series where we tell you for six weeks, hey, you need to stand, you need to stand, because it's clear. I mean, four times in four verses, that's Paul driving at home. Stand, 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 stand. We get it. Like, okay, Paul, we get it. This is a series about how to stand. Like, when you take up your position, how do you do that? What should you feel on the inside? What should our spirit be? How should we do that? And it's going to be a good series. Okay, next week. Just wet your appetite a little bit. Next week, Jason Fibbs will be preaching, and he's teaching on prayer. That when we stand, we should stand up in prayer. 
Um, we'll talk about standing with one another, unity. The one that I'm most excited about. And you've got, you've got invite cards in your seats. You can use these to hand out to your friends. Man, I want you to bring people here on Easter Sunday morning. Listen, we, we live, you already know this because you're on social media, we live in a world where everybody's against something, don't we? It's crazy. Don't you just want to just jump through the computer screen and punch people? That, just, that didn't sound very loving. Um, don't you just think people are adorable? They are adorable, right? Like we live in a, a culture where everybody's against stuff. But what, what people are going to hear here on Easter Sunday morning is that we stand for people. Because God stood for people. Man, I, you need to bring people that day. They need to hear, our culture needs to hear that message, that God is for them. But today, we're talking about standing in. And, and full disclosure, when we first mapped out this, this, this whole series, I thought, well, it's Ephesians 6, and he says, put on the armor, so it's a no-brainer, stand in the armor, right? That's what we should stand in. But then God really started to shift this, theory, this, this message for me, that, yeah, we stand in the, in the armor, but you don't have the armor on if you haven't done something else first. And that first is obedience. So stand in obedience. Because Paul said, look, you know about the armor, right? So put it on. Put on the full armor of God so that then you can stand. So this morning we're talking about standing in obedience. And here's... here's the statement you're going to hear me say a lot. And then we're going to look at Judges 7, a great story in Judges 7 that helps us see this lived out. Simple obedience, simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes. Simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes. Now, you can start looking for Judges 7. It's in the Old Testament. Um, I want you to say, I want to, I want to show you in Ephesians 6, 13 and 14. When, when Paul says, finally put on the armor so that you can stand against the day of evil. I want you to see, first of all, that is a supernatural outcome. If you've, if you've ever, uh, I'm trying to think of good examples that won't, like, you know, make people feel weird and uncomfortable. But, I mean, I can't stop eating ice cream. I can't. I tell Wendy, don't buy any more ice cream. And she buys it. Because she loves me, right? And she comes home, and sometimes she'll come home with ice cream and magic shell. Bad combination for me, right? Like people ask me, why do you run? Because I like ice cream, right? That's why I run. I, I can't say no to ice cream. So even thinking about saying no to ice cream reminds me of how supernatural verse 13 is. That Paul says if we'll put on the armor, we will actually be able to stand against evil when it comes. You, you, know, uh, you know evil people, <laughs> you have evil thoughts, you struggle with sin just like I do. You know, maybe you, you got an addiction or something like that. You know how hard it is to say no to those things. So just the fact that Paul said, if you'll put on the armor, you will be able to stand against evil on that day. That in and of itself is supernatural. But I believe that there's even more than just that. Something very, very practical in Judges chapter 7 I just want to walk us through, maybe take this big idea of simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes and kind of split that in half. And let me, let me give you two phrases. Okay, I'll go ahead and give you the phrases now if you want to jot them down. And then we'll talk through it in Judges 7. Here's the first phrase. Obedience sets the table. 
Obedience sets the table. Now, when I was growing up and my mom would say, Paul, it's your turn to set the table, I did not say this word ever. Yay! Hated it. The only thing worse than setting the table was clearing the table. But I love to eat, right? We love to eat. Obedience sets the table. Now, we're going to see this in Judges chapter 7. Um, obedience. I need to give you maybe some parameters about what I mean by obedience because some of us in this, in this room have grown up in church, okay? Um, some of us have not only grown up in church, but we've grown up in churches that, I'm going to use an L word, legalism. And so we've been in churches where maybe the leadership or maybe the pastor was very, um, you, you know, you better do such and such. And so when I say the word obedience, your mind kind of goes to those places, right? Like, oh, I hate the word obedience. But what I want you to see is that obedience is not based in fear. Obedience is based in love and respect and faith. That's obedience. Obedience allows us to put actions with an attitude. When our attitude is, I want to obey, then I do things that look like obedience. Not, I better do it because if I don't, there's a big mean God that's going to kill me. Obedience sets the table. It's an indicator of our hearts. God knows that our obedience is an indicator of our hearts. Raise your hand if you're a parent and you've got kids. So um, just let me see if, if I can figure out what happened in your house when your kids were growing up. Every time your kids disobeyed you, you got a suitcase, opened it up, put all their stuff in it, closed it, put a coat on them, opened the door, walked them down with their suitcase, put them on the curb, and walked back in, locked the door, pulled the blinds, and never spoke to them again. Is that how it worked in your house? God, I hope not, because there's not enough counseling in the world to fix your kid if it did. That's not what we do with our own children. We don't take them out and say, look, because you didn't obey me, you cease to be my child. But how many of you know that when your kids don't obey, it really jacks up the relationship, doesn't it? It's like, you don't feel like baking them cakes. You don't feel like giving them stuff. I mean, you, they're still your son or your daughter, but man, that relationship's really, it's just messed up. Obedience with God is the same way. It's not that we do it so that we can be his child. That's what Jesus did. It's so that we can have a better relationship with our Father. That's what obedience does. A couple of scriptures, just so you know it's true. John 14, verses 15, 21, and 23. Three times in that chapter, John, John writes that Jesus said that our love for him is revealed by our obedience to him. He says things like, if you love me, You'll keep my word. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. Now, this is where, depending on what church you were raised in or what your dad was like, you're hearing these words two different ways, right? So I, the way I always heard these words were, well, I guess if I don't do what God said, I don't love him. But what he's saying is, if you love me, you'll actually want to do these things. You will do these. Not, well, if you don't do them, then you don't love me. He's not frowning mad. He's like, no, man, if you love me, you'll do these things. Because sometimes when we love people like that, we start to do things that maybe we wouldn't have even thought we'd ever want to do. Case in point, I 
took dancing lessons with Wendy once. I know you're here. You come every Sunday. You're like, watch me before, like before the service starts. And they're, they're always playing this music that makes me want to move. We were talking about this before church started. And I can't dance, but I can't stop. That's not a good combination, right? So if you watch me dance and you're thinking, dude, whatever you paid for those dancing lessons, get your money back, right? You did not remember anything. And I don't remember anything. But Wendy loves to dance. Loves to dance. And so for Christmas one year, I gave her dancing lessons, and I put it in a box, and I, I wrote up a little note, and the note said this, Dear Wendy, I love you more than the things I hate. Let's go dancing, right? Because I love her. It wasn't a chore to go dance with her. I mean, it might have been a chore for her to dance with me, but it was not a chore for me. I just wanted to be with her. One time she asked me to go shopping, and I said, uh... By the way, that's the wrong answer. That's the wrong answer. And she said, no, nah, never mind, never mind. I was like, no, I was gonna, I'll go, I want to go. She goes, no, you don't. The pause gave you away. How can a pause give you away, right? The pause gave you away. The pause indicates that you don't really want to go shopping. And I was like, well, you know that I don't want to go shopping. Why would you ask me to go shopping if you know that I don't want to go shopping? And then when I thought it couldn't get worse, it did. Because she said, I just... I know you didn't want to go shopping, but I just thought you'd want to be with me. Oh. That's the relationship part of it. Sometimes we think, well, I don't want to obey God. And I would just challenge you and say, if you really fall in love with Jesus, you're going to want to do the things that please him. You're going to want to do the things that enhance that relationship. And that's, that's what obedience is. It's, it's not a taskmaster God making you do stuff. It's a God who, who met us where we were and won us over. And now it's like, man, I love him. I'll do his commands. I want to be with him. Even if what he's asked me to do may not make the most sense. So Gideon in Judges 7, case in point. Man, this is a fantastic story talking to somebody between services I was telling them I love Gideon and the reason why I love Gideon is because Gideon's not like one of those extroverted um I know I'm the best leader in the house and I'm gonna make it happen Gideon's this guy who God said I'm gonna do great things through you and Gideon said prove it I don't think you can I'm not sure that I want you to he, he, he did like this thing called a fleece where he, he said, God, I'm going to put something out and I want you to do, you know, so I'll do A, you do B. And if that works, and, and okay, then I know it's you. And so God did it. And he went, oh, time out, God. I'm, I'm going to do B. And if you do A, then I'll know it's you. And he made God repeat the test the opposite way just to prove it. He had no confidence in who he was. And yet God kept pushing him into these situations that, that called for great faith. And he went dragging his feet, not because he didn't believe God, but because he just knew himself. I love Gideon. I can relate to Gideon. And here we find him in Judges chapter 7. And he's, he's got an army with him of 32,000 people. Now that's, if you grew up in Albemarle, that's twice the size of our town. So that's like, you know, like in Albemarle, you're like 32,000. Whoa, that's a lot of people. And it is. The problem was the, the army they were fighting was called the Midianites, and they had 135,000. So 32,000 to 135,000, there's a big disconnect there. Like, they're pretty outnumbered already. And in Judges chapter 7, verse 2, God speaks to Gideon, and he says this, uh, Gideon, you have too many people. 
to fight the Midianites. Now put yourself in Gideon's shoes. Gideon's thinking, do what? God, I've got 32,000, I've got 135,000. I can't do the math, but I've got a little, they've got a lot. And now you want to get rid of, you're saying I have too many? What? God said, you got too many. I can't, I can't use this many people. Because if I use this many people, you'll think that somehow y'all pulled it off. So we need, to, we need to weed some people out. So here's what I want you to do. Just give the men that are afraid the, the chance to go home. So Gideon stands up and he says, look, um, if you're afraid to fight the Midianites, it's cool. No harm, no foul. You can just go home. 22,000 men out the door. So in one day, 32,000 became 10,000. But I'm sure Gideon's thinking, that's cool because i got 10,000 people and they all want to fight. And here we go. And God said, mm, you still got too many people. So here's what I want you to do, Gideon. Uh, take your 10,000 men down to the river, down to the stream, and tell them to drink. It's a big stream, 10,000 people, right? So they go down to the stream, and, and he says, all right, hey, just take a break, get some water. And so he watches, and, and they immediately divide into two different types of, two different groups of people. One group kneels down, like hands and feet on the ground, and drinks, puts her head down and drinks from the water. And the other group kind of kneels half down and, like, pulls the water up, laps like a dog, or, you know, like. And God says, the dog lappers, those are your guys. 300. 300 people. So God takes an army of 32,000 down to 300. And what I want you to see is nowhere in this process was Gideon thinking that this was a good idea. He was thinking, um, God, what exactly are you doing here? Simple obedience can never be based in fear, and here's why. Because sometimes the very things that God calls us to be obedient to can put us in positions that are scary. And so if our obedience is based in fear, oh, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid of God, then at some point the fear of this situation might be greater than the fear of God, and so we're going to cower to this instead of to God. It's got to be based in trust and love of God. And forgetting it was. And he didn't understand any of it. He was just like, Okay, I'll do it. And so he obeyed. And simple obedience, what does obedience do? Obedience sets the table. I, I want to make a statement. I want you to write it down. Um, you're going you're gonna to hear it and go, I don't know if I like it, but you've got community group to kind of work it through, okay, this week. And if you aren't in a community group, you can go on our website, go to the sermon series page, and there's a growth guide for today, and you can, you can download it, and you can work through it on your own, okay? We'd love for you to do it in community, but you can still access it. Here's the statement. Listen to it closely. Simple obedience means never using the mind God gave me to talk myself out of the task he's giving me. It means never using the mind God gave me to talk myself out of the task he's giving me. <laughs> Can we just admit that some of the things that God asks us to do make no sense at all? That, that God is smarter than us? Can we at least all agree that God knows more than we do? I, I'm looking around the room. I'm trying to figure out who the smartest person in the room is. I don't know. I know who it's not. Me. 
whoever the smartest person in the room is, whoever has the highest IQ, the most intelligence, can we just admit that that person only knows an invisible amount compared to the knowledge of God? And so obedience to God has to be based in trust, not in our understanding. We can't think our way into obedience because so many times, like if, if Gideon was thinking his way into obedience, he would have said, this is crazy. I don't need to lower. I need to go recruit more. But God had a plan, and we're going to see that in just a minute. We're going to see that when God calls us to obedience, when he asks obedience to set the table, it's because he wants to serve the meal. And so obedience sets the table, simple obedience, so that God can serve the meal. The supernatural outcome. God serves the meal. And that's what we're going to see here in the story. When I was in college, I was at Pizza Hut one night. And... um that's what college kids do and we're eating pizza it was late we went late so we could get the free pizzas that people ordered and didn't didn't pick up and while we're while we're eating one of the servers started to clean up because you, you know you're there late when they start vacuuming like when they come over and they're like could you just lift your feet up you know you've been there for a while and so she's vacuuming and all of a sudden the vacuum cleaner stopped working and you know we're just kind of I'm just a typical dude not paying attention I'm just feeding my face with pizza and one of the girls at the table said, we should go pray for the vacuum cleaner. And I just kept feeding myself pizza, right? Like, what? Why would I? What? Why would I? And how would you even pray for a vacuum cleaner? Oh, God, make it suck. I mean, how do you? I don't even know. <laughs> what, do you, what do you pray for? How do you do? I don't even know. So she finally said, well, you know, fine. If y'all aren't going to do it, I'll go do it. And so she gets up to go pray for the, vac- to pray for the vacuum cleaner. Are you, are you following me? The vacuum cleaner in Pizza Hut. People are there. And pizza that we could be eating. And so when she went, we were like, oh, great, you know, fine, we'll go. So like four of us walk over, and she literally lays her hand on the vacuum cleaner. And I don't remember what she prayed. I don't think it was God make it suck, but something like that, right? Amen. And like she's praying, she's all into it. And I'm kind of like, check in. And then when she got done, the server turned it on. And it didn't work. And I went back and ate pizza. And I thought to myself, I would like to obey God like that. I would like to just simply feel like God said we should go pray for the vacuum cleaner and just simply go pray for the vacuum cleaner. And that girl came back and she ate pizza and she wasn't weirded out about it. She wasn't crying. She went, oh, there was not a God because I prayed and and the vacuum doesn't suck. She just, I did what God asked me to do. Sat down and kept on eating pizza. See, that's simple obedience. That's what God's after. It's just a trust in God, not a trust in outcome. It's just a trust in God. Simple obedience. But often simple obedience will call us to do things that make no sense to us at all. And that's what we see here in the story of Gideon. So we, we know that God is smarter than we are. He knows more than we, we do. We know that God is working behind the scenes in the battle in ways that we may never know. And even if we did know them, we might not ever understand them. Because he's God. And yet he's so gracious. I love uh, Gen- um, Judges chapter 7, verse 15. I love this that section. He, he recognizes that Gideon's still a little bit freaked out. And wouldn't you be? I mean, like 30, 
32,000 down to 300, but you have to go fight 135,000. So if you're the leader of that army, right, you're a little freaked out. And God, he's so gracious, he didn't beat him up over that. You should have more faith. He said, look, if you're still, if you're still nervous, get a friend and just sneak over to the camp and listen. So he goes walking over to the camp and he sits on the hillside and he listens down in the valley as one Midianite tells another Midianite a dream that he had. And he dreamed that, like, he must have had pizza the night before, like some big thing of barley rolled in and knocked down the tent. That's the dream, like, like weird dreams, right? And his friend goes, oh. This could be nothing other than God getting ready to destroy us because God's with the Israelites. And so Gideon hears that and he's like all full of faith. He's excited. He goes back and he tells his 300 guys, here's the deal, people. God is going to deliver them into our hands. And here's the plan. Here's what I need you to do. I'm going to give all of you really big, tough men, soldier dudes, some pottery with a candle. And I'm going to light that torch. We're going to put it inside that jar of clay. And you're going to take it. A hundred here, a hundred here, and a hundred here. And we're going to stand around that camp. And when I smash my jar, I want you to smash your jar. And everybody's going to yell as loud as they can, For the Lord and for Gideon! Ready? Like, where are the swords? Do we, do we get like the stuff that we light on fire and throw it into the camp? No, you just, just take the pottery and the torches. Do we use the torches to throw into the camp? No, 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 no. Just stay in the pottery and when you smash it, they'll see them. But do we throw them? No. Just yell really loud. All right. Ready, break. <laughs> right? So they go. And they... If you read the story, they do what Gideon said, and lo and behold, as they break the pots and they scream really loud, they look down in the valley, and what's happening? 135,000 men are fighting each other. They kill one another. The enemy army wipes out the enemy army, and the Lord wins the battle, and Gideon and his 300 men never even had to fight. That's a supernatural outcome simple obedience leads to supernatural outcomes as I was studying this this week I was struck by the way that God orchestrates things that we cannot even see as I was studying Judges 7 I I started noticing some details that only God could have known here's a few of them again if, we, if God calls us to do something and we use the mind that God gave us to talk ourselves out of the obedience he's calling us to, then we'll never see the supernatural outcome. If Gideon had at any moment said, this is crazy, it makes no sense, I don't care what God says, I'm going to go recruit 32,000 more people and we're going to go fight. He never would have seen the supernatural outcome, for starters. It's dark in the camp. The Bible says that Gideon and his men got into position at the beginning of the middle watch, which was 10 o'clock at night. And back then, I don't know, it's crazy. At 10 o'clock now, like everybody's just getting started, right? But back then, at 10 o'clock at night, the soldiers would have been in their deepest sleep possible. Now, I don't know how you wake up from deep slumber, but I don't wake up like, what's up? Right? I love it when people call you while you're sleeping and you answer it like you're drunk. Hello? Like, oh, did I wake you? 
no, no, I've been awake for hours. You know, like, I can't even see. I can't focus. I mean, your eyes don't focus. Like, your kids could wake you up in the middle of the night and you would think they're a monster, right? I mean, you just cannot focus. You can't see anything. You're disoriented. And at 10 o'clock at night, they're sleeping. It's the deepest sleep of the night for these soldiers. Not only are they asleep, but at 10 o'clock, they're changing guards. Because the first watch is over and the middle watch is beginning. And so the people that were sleeping and are going to go to, to watch for the middle watch, they're walking to their post. The people that were watching are leaving their post. There's movement in the camp. And you're sleeping soundly. You are so asleep that you are drooling. And then all of a sudden you are awakened by a loud whatever that sounds like when pottery is smashed. And, and you hear a big scream and you're trying to make sense of what's going on. And all you can see is light up on the hillside. And you see shadows moving in front of you because they're just silhouettes. Because like those lights are really bright and I can't even see you. And because you hear all this commotion, you would naturally assume, because you're in a battle, that the people you're seeing are your enemy. And you wake up, grab your sword, and start to attack. God had a plan, like, go at 10 o'clock at night. He had a plan for causing light up on the hillside. And it all worked out for a supernatural outcome, but it all happened because Gideon, as a leader, was obedient and the 300 that followed him were obedient. There was unity. There was trust. And God did something amazing as a result. And why would he do that? Exodus 23, verse 22. Just jot that down. Because God said to his people in Exodus 23, verse 22, that if you will listen and do what I say, I will be an enemy to your enemies, and I will oppose those who oppose you. So what do we take away from this? It's an amazing story of, of how 135,000 people got whittled down and, and beaten by 300. Well, one, simple obedience leads to supernatural outcome. For Gideon, it meant this. You got 32,000, we want to drop that down to 300. If you're doing the math, he decreased his army's size by over 99%. I, I, Parker tried to tell me in the middle between service, it's like 99.0035% approximately, right? That's a huge step of obedience for the Ephesians and for us. You know what it looks like? It looks like put on the armor of God. How do you do that? Well, the belt of truth is this. And it all starts with the belt of truth. Like there's... There's a breastplate of righteousness and a shield of faith, and there's a sword of the Spirit, and there's all these things, but it all starts with the belt of truth, right? Like, here's where it starts. It starts, like, in the morning. You pick up your Bible, and you have a devotion. You pull out your phone and go to YouVersion and read the verse of the day, or you read a, you read a Bible plan. It starts by filling yourself with the Word of God, because that's the truth. That's how you put on the armor of God. For us as a church, it's meant... Walking around a city, I think we're like in day 31 now, for 40 days. Just walking around a city, kind of praying for a city. Asking God to bring life back into Albemarle. And while we take our steps of obedience, God begins to work behind the scenes to do what only God can do. 
maybe jot this down. Obedience is what we can do now while we trust God for what only He can do next. Obedience is what we can do now while we trust God to do what only He can do next. Quick example of how that works. How God is so much smarter than we are. Um, I can relate to Gideon because sometimes I feel like, God, there's so many better leaders than me. And yet God just undeniably orchestrates things and does things in a way that you just go, man, God is so in what's happening at the gathering right now. For his glory. I love it. So, you know, forever we, I'd meet with John and we'd talk about, um, you know, this building and we're doing this building. And we, we, we know we need money for the building and we need a loan and all this stuff. And just, I don't know how you are, but when I talk about money, like my mind just explodes. I'm just like, I don't want to talk anymore about money. <sighs> Me and you, right? Unity. And so, you know, forever it was like, let's do 100K. Let's, let's get $100,000 and that'll be a down payment and then we'll just go do the rest. And man, it's out of the blue. God really dropped this 200K in 40 days on us. And it was like, well, I mean, how do you, I mean, what, is, what is 200K in 40 days? What is that? People always ask me those kind of questions and I'm like, uh, <laughs> well, what we're going to do is... <laughs> We're going to walk around a city every day for 40 days. And I'm going to run a 5K. That loops a 5K. I'm going to run it or walk it every day for 40 days. We're going to pray. And we're going to believe that as we do that, God's going to give us wisdom and insight. He's going to give us a heart for our city. If you have driven, walked, or ran that 5K loop and prayed for our city, you already know that God's doing that. It's amazing the things that you see about your city, the heart that you feel for your city as you get to know it and see it in more detail. And that's cool, 200K. You know, so like by now I think we're up around 1,300 kilometers of prayer that our church collectively has done, which is really cool. And all the while that we're doing that, we, you know, we know that we would, we'd like to raise $200,000 so we can take the next step in our building. And it's funny, when we announced that three weeks ago, um, I had one person come up to me after church that day and say, so what's that money for anyway? And I, and I, I gave, you know, the, the really wise pastoral answer. Uh, something? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not really, like, I, I don't want to make it sound like we don't know what we're doing, but it was like, we know we need $200,000. It's the next step. We know that we need it, and so we're trusting God for it. We're trying not to make it all about the money, so we're, we're focusing on prayer and praying for our city and, you know, you know, and she was like, yeah, okay, you know, it's like, just didn't connect really, I mean, it's like, God, I, I, we want more teeth to it than that, right, and then this past week, as we're being faithful, and this one I want you to see, simple obedience leads to supernatural outcome, as we are simply being obedient to walk and run and pray, to, to give what we can, you know, to give as, we, as we're able to this, to this what's next fund, John has a, a conversation, and, and just in one day, the door that seemed like it was open was closed. And in that same day, he has another conversation with somebody at AG Financial, who, who ironically, for 15 years was an administrator in a church. And that man heard, you know, listen to John talk about, you know, here's what we are, and here's what we have, and, you know, we got this building, and we got equity, and blah, 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 and, you know, like, we need to take next steps, and what, you know, what would you recommend? And here's what the guy said. Well, I mean, what I would recommend is just pay that building off. 
And I don't know if you ever had light bulb moments. I know as a teacher, you see people have light bulb moments. But when you hear something and go, why didn't I think of that? And that's what John had. And he told us, and I was like, well, that's a brilliant idea. Told the finance team and the elders, and we're all like, like, why did we think of, like, yes. Why would you not pay that building off and start with strength instead of from a position of debt? So that's cool, right? I mean, if you've done Dave Ramsey, you're like, sweet. Here's where it gets exciting to us. So John goes, hey, Paul, guess how much we need to pay off the building? Anybody want to take a guess? 200K. Well, not anymore. 150K. Because we're 25% there already. And it's, what I want you to see is this. Give me grace, okay? I, I just don't know any other way to be, but just honest. I, I am not a leader with a five or ten year plan. I mean, I, look, sometimes I, I don't even have a day plan. My plan is very simple. I want to hear Jesus and obey. Period. And if Jesus drops 200K in 40 days in our heart, then we just want to do it. Whether we even really know what we're doing or not, we know God said to do that. And what I love is he let us get over halfway into it before we had the conversation where all of us went, oh, that's what we're doing. Of course. And if that, if, if that kind of like church environment freaks you out, I mean, I get it. We, we don't want it to, but that's what following Jesus is all about. is hearing him speaking and just saying, I'm all in, even if I'm not really fully sure what I'm all in about. What I love about God is he's so gracious to do what he did for us, and he can do it for you as well. When you take that simple step of obedience, it can feel really scary, but when you trust him, he starts to give you insight into what he's, how he's using that. Well, here's why I asked you to do that. And you just kind of have that light bulb moment that goes, oh. So what that means for us is we have zero doubt that that means that God's going to, Raise $200,000 because God wants us to, to be debt-free. He doesn't want us to owe that. So somehow between now and two weeks from now, he's going to pull off something supernatural because simple obedience always leads to supernatural outcomes. Always, always, always. So that's how it looks in our church. Um, you've got leadership at our church, elders that have already begun to make um, investment in that because they're all in. You have leadership in the church that has already increased what they're giving because they believe that it would be ridiculous for leaders to ask people to do things if leaders don't do them themselves. Um, <laughs> we will drive beater cars until we die because we believe strongly in the vision that God has for Albemarle through the gathering. And we would rather invest in that than brand new cars. And so God always tests our faith by giving us cars that break down. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. <laughs> he provides us with what we need. And he'll do the same for you. And so what we want to do this morning is I want to pray over you. That, that God would fill you with, with a level of faith in your relationship with him. That you will trust him. This is not me trying to convince you to give money. We need money. I want to convince you to trust your father. 
that he is leading you to simple obedience in something. Now, let me give you a couple of examples because we've talked a lot about the building, but I don't want to lose, I don't want that to be the focus. Some of you have friends that you have felt for a while now you need to have a conversation about Jesus with. And your step of simple obedience is just going to be, hey, can we talk and share the gospel? Some of you may be um, in a position where you're thinking, what do I do? I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to be at my job. I think maybe God has another job for me. I mean, your simple step of obedience could be in that regard. There's a lot of ways that, for some of you, simple obedience is literally going to be reading the Bible tomorrow. So there's all kinds of ways to live out simple obedience. I just want you to live it out. I want you to, to live out simple obedience because I want God to lead you to supernatural results and outcomes. And so I just want to pray this morning over you that he would do that for, for our church, for, for me, for you, for your families, for people that are in your lives. That, man, your simple step of obedience would be the door that leads to a supernatural outcome. I, I pray that you and I find ourselves, and this is really funny to me. I love how God does this. We are a church of 300. I don't know if you know that. We just talked about a group of 300. They took on an army of 135,000. We're taking on an army of 150K. Because 50's already come in. It's amazing how God parallels things for me. I don't know if that does anything for you, but I'm just like, dang, God, like how long ago was the Bible written? Are you serious? Like it's, it speaks to my life right now. And I'm praying that we would be a church full of those kind of outcomes. So let, let's just pray. God, I thank you that in this place alone this morning, there are all kinds of simple steps of obedience that need to take place. I, I thank you that you're not a God who beats us up about it. You're not a God who... Um, who shames us into obey, obedience. You are a God who loves us into obedience. And I just, I think back again on that verse in John. When you love me, you will obey my commands. If you love me, you will obey my commands. And, and it's not a have to, it's a get to. We will, because we love you, want to do what you've asked us to do. And, and as, as scary and as uncomfortable as steps of obedience can be, we just recognize now that we love you more than those steps that we might hate. I love Wendy so much more than dancing. And I would do dancing with her because of that. And God, we want to love you beyond our comfort zone. We don't want to outthink what you're having us do. And so God, in families and relationships at, at work at school the things that you're calling us to and we already know what they are because we can already think of them right now i pray that this week you would fill us with with faith to believe you to trust you and to take the simple step of obedience and to watch what you do the things that only you can do that will result in glory that only you can have and we thank you for it in your mighty name jesus amen